Uh, I want to say again briefly that if you worship, if the way you worship is because it's a Pentecostal tradition, then you're worshiping for the wrong reason. Your why you worship is for the wrong reason. You need to put another answer behind the word why. And that's what we're trying to do. If you worship the way you do because your mom and daddy did it that way, it's the wrong reason. We worship the way we worship, not because we're Pentecostal and not because it's a tradition, but because it's biblical. And you should be able to transfer some of this material to other people when they ask you, why do y'all worship the way you worship? How come you're not that quiet, sedate church that don't move and you never hear a pin drop? Why are y'all so loud? Why are you so fervent? Why is the music the way it is? Why is the singing the way it is? It's because it's biblical, and I'm sorry your church doesn't do that. I thought I'd get an amen or two on that, but I'm glad we do. I said, I'm glad we do. And I am not going to summarily dismiss a good portion of the Word of God because somebody may not think it's culturally correct or traditionally correct. We worship God not because it's a Pentecostal tradition, but because, because it's biblical. I'm saying that, and you say, well, Brother Murphy, I know that. No, you don't. And I'll tell you why. It's because we get stuck in eras of time. We get stuck in genres of music. Here's the point. You don't worship God. It's inappropriate to totally and completely worship God the way you want to without worshiping Him the way He wants to be worshipped. That's what I want us to understand here tonight. So when we worship as a Pentecostal tradition, and a lot of you grew up on that. I did. So clapping hands and raising hands and jumping and running the aisles, that's not strange to me. I grew up with that. But it's only been in the past 10, 15 years that I've understood how biblical that is, and that's how God wants to be worshipped. That's not, we don't do it because that's the way we want to. We do it because that's the way he wants us to. And I think it's important to understand God's body language. Amen. Uh, Y'all can try this in your marriage and see how how it works. Those of you that are married. um, Do something for your spouse that they really don't want. I did that one time. The infamous mantle clock. I bought her one. I wanted it. So I bought it for her and hoped she would like it. Well, she liked it, but that's not what she wanted. And I've never forgotten it. Okay, those of you that's not reading between the lines, I've never been allowed to forget it. Okay. Uh, So take your spouse to a restaurant to eat that they don't like. See how that goes. When it comes to praying, worshiping, praising God, you have to go to the Bible and you have to read how he wants that to be done. And so that's what you do. You say, well, it's not my DNA and it's not my makeup. Let's go back to the marriage. I've counseled more people through the years because they married somebody that did not have the DNA in them and they did not have the emotional structure in them to love the spouse the way the spouse wanted to be loved and it caused a problem 
He never says he loves me. That's very meaningful to some wives, gentlemen. Um, I, of course, you know, I love the story of the guy that he got married and on the wedding night, he told his wife, he said, I, I'm going to tell you one time that I love you. And if it ever changes, I'll let you know. Uh, so I hope y'all are getting the point. So I'm asking you tonight, most of you as traditional Pentecostals, if you would transfer your attitude and your perspective towards worship and singing to this. I preached Sunday morning uh, out, of, out, of, out of the Psalms where the psalmist said three times to sing to the Lord. Twice he said sing to the Lord a new song. And I made a statement in my message, and several people have commented about it, and that's why I'd like for you to go back and listen to it. Even if you were here, son, you probably wouldn't hurt to listen to it again. It made an impact on me, and it's not this, the statement's not original to me. The reason we need to sing new songs is because God is continually revealing his characteristics and attributes to people, and they write about it. So when you sing a new song, oftentimes you're singing about an attribute of God, or you being able to see God in a different way than you've ever seen him before. Now, if you want the 1973 revelation of God and just stick with that, that's your choice. But I'd rather have something current, something new, something that's going to challenge my thinking, something that's going to challenge my faith, and something certainly that will challenge me to worship. Everybody said amen. Are you all on board with that? All right. Several Wednesday nights ago, by the way, Brother Ben taught last Wednesday night. If you were not here, listen to that as well. Excellent. Excellent Bible study, very well presented, and thank you for that. Uh, but when I taught last time, it's been, seems like, forever, on Wednesday night, I talked to you about the importance of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And I know, I, I just talked to somebody recently that told me they had this huge spiritual experience in a church environment that was not healthy. It was not healthy because biblical doctrine was not taught in that environment. Uh, one, God was not taught in that environment. Modesty was not taught in that environment. Holiness was not taught in that environment. But they said they had a huge epiphany of God and that how this was the will of God. Well, this is why you worship in spirit and in truth. Everything you do has to have Bible base beneath it. If it doesn't, you get in a strange wildfire and uh, you find yourself out there on an island by yourself if you're not careful. So, to give you just a, a quick summary of this study, what I'm teaching about is the Tabernacle of David, and for the first uh, 15 to, uh, well, uh, probably 2,500 years of the Bible, there was no real worship. Uh, there was no real congregation worship. Most worship was done one-on-one -on -one around an, an altar. So when God gave to Moses the law of Moses, it did not include worship, not vocal worship, praise, and so on. When David came on the scene, uh, the Ark of Covenant had been captured uh, by the Philistines. When David finally got it back, he brought it back into Jerusalem. He danced around Jerusalem with all of his might. You know that story. He didn't take the Ark back to the Tabernacle of Moses. I want you to understand that. He didn't take the Ark back to the Tabernacle of Moses. He took it to the top of Mount Zion. So understand this principle, traditional Pentecostals. 
that the tabernacle of Moses and all of that ceremony went on without the Ark of Covenant. The Ark of Covenant had been captured for some 20 years by the Philistines anyway. So they had learned to have church without God anyway. But when they got the Ark back, it wasn't a big deal to them to have it back. And it's real easy to learn how to have church without the presence of God. We can go through the motions, and we hear that term all the time. But God forbid it ever happen here. If God's not here, and if he's not in it, I'm not interested in it. <laughs> Just say that straight up. All right. David took it to the top of Mount Zion. Now, when the temple of Solomon was built after David's death and it was completed, the Ark of Covenant wasn't moved to the Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple to fulfill the law of Moses. What the Ark of Covenant established by way of praise and worship and celebration, all of that was moved to Solomon's temple to change Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple converted its environment and atmosphere to the presence of the ark. They didn't go back to just the law of Moses, but they continued this vocal worship of praise and singing. And the Bible said, and you know it to be true, Solomon did not have to fight one battle during his 40 years of reigning as king over Israel. Why? Because the presence of God and its environment and the way people looked at it was in alignment as God wanted it to be for the first time in human history. And it was not until all of that was torn down that Israel had to start fighting for its life again that they're still doing to this day. The Spirit of God is what governs and determines our environment, not what we want and we expect God to like it. You worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And everybody say amen. So David instituted a number of expressions of worship. And a couple of Wednesday nights ago when we taught this material... I went into four or five of those, and I'll review those quickly, and then we'll move on. But the first expression of, that, of, of worship that he introduced was certainly the expression of worship. The word praise and worship is in the Word of God over 500 times. I think God is serious about that subject. <clears throat> And if we don't know how to worship biblically, hopefully I'll give you enough material. At least you can practice. But I mean, after three or four months of rehearsal, especially on Sunday morning, and hopefully in your house, we'll learn how to worship God after a while the way that He would like to be worshipped, not the way we want to worship Him. And I hope some of you, if I can get five or six of you to get your head around this, it'll change our environment here on Sunday morning. We'll be ringing the bell up on the platform that it's time to sit down so we can go on with our service. The worship will just overtake this building. You'll be surprised at the miracles and the provision and the comfort and all of that that would come to your life if we could understand it. Okay. So uh, the, uh, we talked about it a couple of Wednesday nights ago. David introduced the ministry of singers and singing. This had never happened. David appointed certain Levites to be singers in the tabernacle of David, and no doubt they were people that could sing. 
We establish that. Uh, we make a joyful noise, but we're not going to give you a microphone. No offense to anybody, and it, it may have offended people and, and whatever. But you can make a joyful noise, but we're not going to hand you a microphone while you're doing it. Uh, so please understand that. Let me move on. David instituted the ministry of musicians with instruments. I've heard people say, all of my life. I've heard them say it, all of my life. I don't like all those instruments in church. We don't understand. We don't have enough. We don't have enough. I remember in my home church, and some of you will, when we got our first drum set. And there were some old traditional Pentecostals that didn't like that too much, even though the Bible did said praise him on the cymbals and on the high-sounding cymbals. That's not optional. That's a commandment. This is what I want you to do. So when our sweet Chris Lewis goes up there and he just hits him things and hits him things and it kind of pierces your ear and you don't like it, think about that scripture that I just quoted. You may not like it, but he does. I heard about a church. Somebody told me, I was last weekend, about a church that had a little basket out in the lobby with little baggies of earplugs in them. I ain't going to start that. No way I'm going to start that. I'm not going to condone and oh, reward people's. We're just not going to do it. Okay. Um, we monitor it back there, and we trust you according to science, according to the medical world. It's not too loud. Okay. Uh, but the ministry of musicians and instruments, this had never been done before. And then David had the ministry of the Levites before the ark. The Levites were appointed to minister before the ark of the covenant continually. Day by day as every man's work required. This was indeed in great contrast to the order of the tabernacle of Moses when only the high priest could go in before the ark of covenant once and only once a year to offer to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. David said no more of that. We're going to pull it out of its hiding place. We're going to take it out from behind the veil. And we're going to establish priests out of the tribe of Levi to go stand before that ark. And they're going to minister before God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And it is amazing to me how David was able to pull that off. And then he established the ministry of recording. King David set Levites in his tabernacle to record. The word record means to set it down so that it can be remembered. To write it down so that it can be remembered. It involved the ministry of the scribe. Many of the Psalms, especially those which concerned Zion, must have been given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in connection with the tabernacle of David. The title of Psalm 80, as well as the whole Psalm, is an example of this. Asaph prayed a prophetic prayer as he stood before the Ark of Covenant and the shepherd of Israel who dwelt between the cherubims. That's what he said in Psalm 80, verse 1. The Psalms would be recorded by the Levitical scribes and then set down so that they could be remembered. What a vast treasure would have been lost if the Psalms had not been recorded. Moses was the only one who wrote inspired scripture in, in relation to the tabernacle called by his name. Psalm 90 and 91 have been attributed to Moses. In the tabernacle of David, many of these Levites wrote Psalms as well as King David himself. So David... David shared, he split up 
the inspiration. I don't want just one man to write two psalms in his entire life. Let's get as many people out here before the Ark of Covenant. Let them start worshiping God. Let God inspire them and keep putting those songs out. Keep putting those songs out. Let me get, let me get real close to home here. <laughs> Traditional Pentecostal people say, we don't want these new songs of David and Asaph and all these different people. that They're just, they're just priests in the Levitical priesthood. We just want to sing Psalm 90 and 91 that Moses wrote. That's the only songs we want in our songbook. We don't want any new songs. But David said to sing a new song, sing a new song, sing a new song, sing a new song. And I explained to you a little while ago the reason why. And it's important that we be open-minded to that. And I'll admit, I'm a little uncomfortable when they sing a new song I've never heard before. And I'm sitting up there. You know what they tell people when you sing in a, a, a praise team or a choir and you don't know the song? Just say the word watermelon. Watermelon, 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 watermelon. It looks like you're going along with the words. Now, I personally do not do that. <clears throat> That's stupid to me. But it don't hurt if you don't know the words. Plug in with God and speak in tongues for a little while. while. How about that as an option? How about just worship, raising your hands and just worship the Lord while the song's going on? Instead of that attitude that says, I don't know the song, so I ain't singing. Well, maybe God likes it. So you don't know the words until you do them. I'm going to worship God the best way I can, biblically, so that he'll be happy with my worship and adoration of him. That ain't what we do. We don't like that too much, Pastor, and we don't want to change the way we've, we've been doing this for the past 50 years. Yeah, and you've been fighting battles all of your life. If we could align ourselves with what the Word of God teaches us, our battle fighting would go way, way down. The Lord willing, I'll talk to you a little bit about that Sunday uh, coming up. And then David established the ministry of thanking the Lord. David appointed the Levites to thank the Lord. Many of the Psalms exhort God's people to thank the Lord for His mercy. Giving thanks is an expression of gratefulness and appreciation to the giver of all things, which is God. Unthankfulness is literally a sign of the times we're living in today. Those who were set in the tabernacle of David were to give thanks continually for all things. People say, I don't have anything to thank God for. Really? See me after church and I'll help you. Are you breathing? Thank God for air. I left a very sweet 95-year-old man Monday afternoon that had oxygen under his nose to help him breathe. We have something to be thankful for. And that list can get pretty long if you stop and think about it. And you say, well, Brother Murphy, all of that is silly and whatever. No, it's not silly. The Bible said, be thankful unto the Lord. Be thankful unto the Lord. Whatever you think of, be thankful unto the Lord. And bless his name, the Bible said. Actually, Moses had instituted a, an offering called a thank offering. That's all you did is just wave. You just did a wave offering, and that's all you did was just thank the Lord for all of his blessings. That's all he, all he did. <clears throat> and then there's the ministry of praise, where part of the order in David's tabernacle was to praise the Lord for his goodness and to praise the Lord for his mercy. There were always Levites in their respective courses praising the Lord. One just needs to check the concordance and count the numerous references to praise, and realize the importance of this to God. He, by nature, 
the byproduct of the nature of God, the nature of a God is to be praised. That's the point, is to be praised. So God wants to be praised. That's why the psalmist concluded the psalm by saying, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. I don't know what, anything, what else to say. We've said everything we know to say. So if you have breath, open your mouth and praise the Lord. <clears throat> praise God. Let's give the Lord a hand praise here tonight. According to Isaiah 12, verses 1 and 4, Jeremiah 33, 10 through 12, the Bible said it's scriptural to say praise, to say it. So praising God just isn't limited to singing. You can say it. I praise the Lord. I praise Jesus. I praise God. We say praise the Lord all the time. I hear preachers do it all the time. I do it. When you're up here preaching and you're trying to connect with something else you're going to say, you just say praise the Lord in the middle. Some do it more than others. And more than others. Sometimes they do a little too much. <laughs> you do a little more sermon preparation and get your notes straight, you wouldn't have to fill the voids with too many, so many praise the Lords. Who was it years ago, the infamous uh, show on TV called PTL? Somebody thought, well, it'd be a good idea if you want to praise the Lord, just abbreviate it and you can do it a whole lot more. So instead of saying praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you just go PTL, PTL, PTL. Look at that boy, I spit out three of them just like that in less than a second. The point is, is it's biblical to say praise, to vocalize praise out of your mouth without it being melodious is the point. So praising God just isn't left up to singing. So for those of us that can't sing and you think God is not really pleased when you sing praise to him, it's okay to say it. Sometimes it's nice to pick up a songbook and just read it. Don't sing it, just read it he brought me out of the miry clay hallelujah so don't sing it i'm teasing with that little line make a joyful noise unto the lord but saying praise is biblical it is biblical but the scripture also says to sing praise in psalm 47 psalm 98 psalm 100 and all over the book of psalms the Psalms especially exhort the people of God to sing praise. Over 70 references in the 150 Psalms tell us to sing praise. There was no singing of praise in the tabernacle of Moses. It was a silent order. There was no noise, no praise, no worship, no vocal noise, no musical noise. But David said, we're going to change that. I've often wondered how the Jewish people that remembered the tabernacle of Moses. I wonder what they thought about that. Well, Moses never did this. I mean, the law of Moses has been around now for, you know, some 1,500 years, David, and now all of a sudden you're going to change everything. It's not Moses doing one thing and David doing something else. It's God introducing himself more and more to mankind. And as God introduces himself more and more to mankind, there comes instructions with it. God just don't give you a blank check and say, treat me however you want to treat me. But he gives you instructions on how he wants to be treated. And praise and worship is a huge part of that. And then there's the ministry of the Psalms. On the day of the dedication, David delivered a psalm to the singers and musicians. 
The tabernacle of David was characterized by the writing and singing of psalms. These greater, the greater majority of the psalms are linked to David's tabernacle, and this is seen by the many references to Zion. When you read the psalms, folks, and most of you have, when he talks about Mount Zion, Mount Zion, Mount Zion, Mount Zion, understand what he's saying here. The Ark of Covenant is not in Hebron in the Holy of Holies. It's on the, in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. And he's introduced this whole new way of connecting with God. And it's amazing and it's powerful and it's anointed. And it's the will of God. Uh, David was more than qualified to do this. He had all the authority to do it. He was only one of three men in the Bible that was king, priest, and prophet. He had the credentials to do it. So he introduced the Psalms, he introduced song, introduced singing uh, to uh, give to the Lord. And then he introduced the ministry of rejoicing and joy. Joy and rejoicing characterized the article of the order of the tabernacle of David. Notice, everybody listen, the Canaanite religions, these heathen people, as well as most religions outside of Christianity, had no real joy. They would go through all these dances and seance and all that kind of stuff, but it was solemn, it was, it was serious, it was very sober, but not so with David's tabernacle. He said, man, if we're going to worship the God of creation, the King of glory, the majestic Savior of our soul, we're going to do it with, with a thankful heart and a smile on our face, and we're going to leap for joy, and we're going to clap our hands, and we're going to worship God with joy. I oftentimes look at the word rejoice and it's bottom line saying, just get rejoyed. I mean, you used to have Joyce. So rejoice. Get your Joyce back. I hope there's not somebody that used to be married to someone named Joyce and they were horrible. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but you get your joy back. You, you do this with joy. Uh, put a smile on your face. Show your teeth. Uh, while you worship God. And then David introduced, and this is amazing to me, these are things that we take for granted. I've done this all of my life, most of it, all of my life. The Jewish people never did this till David came along, man. That's what's interesting to me about this. How did you live all of these years under Moses' tabernacle and never said, praise the Lord? You never smiled. Even on the Day of Atonement, when fire came down out of heaven and consumed the sacrifice, you sat there and, good for another year. See, y'all. Man, how do you do that without saying, yes, I'm good, man. I don't have to worry about dying tonight. I don't have to worry about my kids tonight. The presence, how do you do that without... <clears throat> And then David introduced the ministry of clapping of hands. And I love that. And I quote the psalm often. Oh, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice. I love that, man. Babies do it. You don't have to teach them. I see them on Facebook once in a while when I'm stalking Facebook. By the way, those of you that say, for all my friends that never, I don't know, needle me, nudge me, poke at me, whatever you mean by that. If you don't ever talk to me on Facebook with any friend, you go ahead. Because I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I just want to see what people are up to. And I throw my little two cents in every once in a while, and we move on with life. But then once in a while, somebody throw a clip, a clip on there. Somebody had one on there the other day 
a daddy, I don't know who it was, but they'd jerk a pacifier out of the baby's mouth, and a little kid just throw his head back and ha, 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 ha. And then you see these other little kids, little bitty kids, man, the dog does something funny, and boy, they'll just clap. It's natural, man. You have to live on this planet for a little while to learn how to be solemn and sour and mad and angry and frown. When the presence of God comes in, you need to move. You need to do something. Something needs to happen on the inside. God deserves it, and he wants it, and he demands it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Somebody asked me if I was going to preach tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm working towards that end right now. But one of the Psalms for the sons of Korah exhorts people to clap their hands. Here's somebody in the bloodline of Korah. Do you remember who he was? He stood eye to eye and toe to toe with Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and said, we want to go back to Egypt. We want the garlic. We want the onions. We want all that Egyptian food. We don't care how bad they beat us. We don't care how many of our loved ones die. We don't care how much how mean they are. We want the food, and we want to go back to Egypt. That was Grandpop. Way up the line. But one of his kids got a different revelation and a different viewpoint. That was my ancestor, but it's not me. They were disgruntled. They didn't want to do the will of God. They didn't want to move where God was moving. They didn't want to go where God was going. I hope somebody hears me tonight. And so it was one of the sons of Korah that actually said, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. That wasn't David. That was of the bloodline of Korah. A light came on in their head and said, You know what? Daddy was wrong in the way he taught us. Daddy taught us to set solemn and quiet and behave and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the presence of God, we need to clap our hands and shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Let me tell you folks something. If... Uh, you had some traditional Pentecostals marching around the walls of Jericho. They'd have probably done it. They'd have probably marched at least a day or two. Yeah, we ain't doing this no more. Y'all know where I'm going, don't you? On that seventh day, on the seventh lap, when Joshua said, when we hit that seventh lap, buddy, I love what Brother Greg Albritton said. They didn't start when they were... 99.9 all the way around. When they was 100% around on that seventh time, Joshua said to shout with all you've got on the inside of you. I know what some of us would have done. And them walls would have stepped right there. That's what we don't understand. When you worship God the way He wants to be worshipped, there's people here tonight... If you, and I, I ask you to do it all the time when I'm preaching. Do what you feel like doing. And there's something on the inside of you that says, I won't do. But there's that other 99% of tradition and upbringing and attitude and mindset perspective that says, don't do that, don't do that. You'll make a fool of yourself. you look like an idiot. People think you've lost your mind, whatever. Who cares what people think? If we could ever understand, it's what God thinks that's important. Look, do what I did. We got some of these boys up here that they're young and they don't care what people think about them. 
They'll run laps around and catch Steve Elsenrath. You want to run the aisles? Brother James, you want to run the aisles? I know he's got a, an artificial hip and, and what have you, and he literally, physically would have a very difficult time running. You know what I did several Sundays ago? I called Patrick up there and said, Man, I want to run the aisles, and I just don't feel like I can make it. Will you take off for me, run a lap? They do it in baseball. You ever heard of a pinch runner? The guy ain't good enough on first base to come around and score. Bring somebody in that can. It's a pinch runner. Pull him back. He hit and got on base. You've all hit and got on base. Let somebody else run. I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. Man, we don't understand. When you read about shouting, shouting with a loud big mouth and a loud big voice in the Word of God, brought people more victory than you can imagine. As the children of Israel were in the walls of Jericho, it wasn't this little PTL, PTL. That didn't do it. Now, I'm not asking everybody here to go just completely berserk and out of your mind here next Sunday morning. But sometimes the Spirit of God moves on you, Brother Phil, and you did it Sunday morning. Get out in that aisle. And yeah, it's a little awkward, and you feel like a newborn giraffe, and you're wobbly on your feet. But after you're out there a few minutes, you'll get, you'll get your knees underneath you and just, just walk around. Hallelujah. Praise God. Somebody ought to try it. Just get out in the aisle and just, hallelujah, praise God. I pace back and forth up there all the time. I can't sit still. I'm not asking everybody to be like me. I just want you to worship God the way He wants you to worship. And there's victory that comes in shouting. You can be loud with your mouth, and you can be very expressive with your body. Sister Pat, you remember back in the first church choir? Those You remember that. We were never taught how to dance and shout gracefully. I remember that. I've gone home with bruises on the backs of my legs, shot between the pews. I didn't have enough sense to get out in the aisle. I just stayed and put him between the pews and killed myself. Get out in the aisle, stupid, and you can walk in the morning. You know, God's not trying to kill you or maim you. <laughs> but boy, we just and hit people. Sometimes I've wanted to hit my brother-in-laws sometimes, and you couldn't do it without them getting them mad. So you just stand next to them in the choir and shout one night, and you go, pow! And they're like, it's all right, he's shouting. <laughs> Worked every time, man. I didn't really do that, <laughs> but it has crossed my mind. <laughs> there are some of you. Would y'all come stand beside me tonight? I just feel a good shout coming on. Boom! Now behave in church. <laughs> but express yourself, man. Gideon. You know how stupid they felt trying to take on the Midianites? And they have a pitcher, like you pour things out of, and a, a lantern and a trumpet. Break the pitcher, hold the lantern up, and blow that trumpet as loud as you can. And they went and run off into an oblivion somewhere, shouting. It works. Paul and Silas, traditional Pentecostals, go, oh, God, I need to call the pastor. Why? They didn't do that. Let's shout and praise and worship. And what happened? Well, y'all look at me like you want to. This is Bible. <clears throat> and we ought to try it. We ought to try it sometimes. Sister Sheila, in all due respect, 
It was so awesome. Several Sunday mornings ago, this is where they usually sat. Music was just, and you could feel the presence of God. You couldn't stand there anymore. Just got out of here, buddy, and just waving them hands. And I want to leave that platform, man. Give God what you've got. And whatever it is, give it with all of your heart and with all of your might. I can't keep up with Patrick and Steve Elsenrath when they run the aisles. And I do regret that time I ran the aisles and they took out behind me. And I could tell. Would you quit sightseeing and move over? We're on an interstate here, man. We're not on the backwoods rural road somewhere. We want to run, son. Well, go around me. I know I'm a wide load, but <laughs> I hope you're getting the point. And I'm adding humor to it, but it's not funny. This is the way God wants us to do it. <clears throat> not our way, His way. And we oftentimes, and most major- the most majority of church folks, leave church unfulfilled. Why? Because they did not worship God the way He wanted to be worshipped. They did it the way they wanted to and wondered why God didn't do stuff for them. Ministry of clapping of hands, a ministry of shouting, shouting. You know how, you know when Jesus comes back, do you know what's going to accompany the rapture? He's going to come back with a, huh? Oh, no, 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 Brother Murphy. He's coming back very traditional Pentecostal. He's just going to go, Saints, come with me. No, he ain't. He's waited on this moment for an eternity. And he's way too excited to be quiet about it. And for all of those of you that say, well, I'm just not emotional, whatever, let somebody give you a million dollars and see what you do. Or come home and say, let one of your kids come home and they're wearing that little T-shirt that says, I'm going to be a parent for the first time. And you, you read it three or four times, and it don't click at first. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Casey came over one time with a, do- a, a T-shirt on her dog. What does that mean? Casey, what does that mean? Casey, what does that mean? And then reality sets in. Do you have any idea? We have it on video. She does. Do you have any idea what Sister Murphy did when Casey came home and said we're expecting our first child? Oh, that's so sweet. Congratulations. She about tore our living room up going in circles, man. If the news is good, you're going to react to it. If God is good... We should react to it, respond to it. Bit of truth shouted. I love this. No one ever did it, man. Nobody ever did it. Well, they did it briefly when they crossed the Red Sea. I will give Miriam credit. But it's the ministry of dancing. And I want to teach against vulgar, immodest, inappropriate dancing. I teach against that. I teach against women screaming like bloody murder. Y'all mind if I illustrate? I just saw somebody sitting kind of over in this direction that went. It's, yes, I really mind, but go ahead.
you're not terrifying people, and you're not trying to terrify God. Now, you know, a little woo-woo, you know, something like that's pretty cool, but this screaming, no. Um, dancing, won't be real plain, and I know it's on the web. Y'all can edit if you need to, but when folks get out in the aisle and stuff's bouncing and stuff's going on, you need to be real careful about that. Now, I'm teaching, but the Bible did talk about dancing, and it's nothing wrong with just, you don't have to go. Have you ever seen anybody on dance floor do that? Maybe you have. I haven't. But most people get on the dance floor kind of know how to dance. I literally thought about, and you're going to laugh me to scorn, but years ago I literally thought about going to take dance lessons. Just some real, like kind of like ballroom dancing, and dance before the Lord. I don't have to be vulgar and gyrate my hips and all that kind of stuff to dance before the Lord. The Bible don't teach that. That's what the Canaanites would do. It was vulgar, it was sensual, it was inappropriate. But David incorporated and said, let's dance before God, but let's do it right. I've said many times throughout the years, and you've heard other preachers say it, you don't have to quit dancing. People, we've taught for years that Pentecostals don't dance. That's not true. We don't dance in the world, but I can dance with God. Do you love Him? Dance with Him. I'm not, I don't want to go too far and get people confused here tonight. If you want to talk about our church, I will. I don't believe in worldly dancing and all that kind of stuff. But I have been on, in places, a cruise, on a cruise, for example, where you see old folks like the Tomlinsons back there. <laughs> I wish Sister Murphy was in here. I'd illustrate. But they just kind of, they're husband and wife, and they put their hands around it. All they're doing is this. I'm like, man, if that's all there is to dancing, I can do that. Why not? I've seen Pentecostal people, men and women, they'll get lost. You can tell they're lost in the spirit, man. And they're not gyrating and being vulgar and disgusting. It's beautiful, man, to watch them just move and the Holy Ghost. Why don't you try it? And when you walk out of here, it's not what you did. It's not what you did. It's what you did for him that he liked. David instituted dancing before the Lord. It was a part. David, David's wife, and the Bible never refers to her as David's wife, always refers to her as Saul's daughter. Michael despised him because of it. Despised him. But he danced, and he worshiped God. And it's biblical. And it's not vulgar. It's not inappropriate. You just, you move when the Holy Ghost. You just flow. With, I wish I could do it. Uh, I had two stepdads. Not at the same time. Uh, but the first one, before he converted, he used to dance in the world before he converted. Tall, slender man. It's uh, Leo Wilhoyd. His son actually wrote all the Search for Truth material. And, uh, I saw him grab my sweet mother one night and just start dancing. It was awesome, man. He knew what he was doing. I'm like, won't you do that in church? Oh, it's not appropriate in church. Who said? The Bible said. <laughs> the Bible teaches it. I watched uh, Sister Joyce Lawrence. Some of you that have known her in years past, boy, she could cut a rug back way back in the day, and she has said that. I'm not talking behind her back. I'm not. 
But it wasn't so many months ago that she was sitting back over in there and the Spirit of the Lord was moving. And I watched her just slide out into the aisle and it was just... It's all she could do. But it was with all of her might. Y'all understand that? You do what you can and you do it with all your might. That's what God wants. It really makes God happy when people dance before Him. It's the nature of God. Lifting up holy hands sign of surrender but it's more than that yes it is a sign of surrender somebody comes puts a gun in your back i surrender but it's also a vow raise your right hand put your hand on the bible it's a vow so you raise your hands and surrender and it's a vow to the lord these things are biblical david even instituted and this is going to sound crazy after all this but he instituted the ministry of worship it's to bow down it's to stoop very low there are times when you fall on your face before God. We had the most incredible Sunday morning a couple of years ago, and I've craved it ever since. There was a man sitting back there where Brother James is, just during the music. He came running down the aisle and skidded in here on his knees, not to repent. Tears streaming down his face to worship. One of our men went down in the praise team that same morning, all the way down to his knees. Tears streaming, hands up. Worship. That's worship when you bow down and worship and I'm anxious and desperate for Grace Church to reach that point there's sometimes you fall on your face not to weep and travail but just to worship and then there's a ministry of seeking the Lord David exhorted the Levites to seek the face of the Lord in his tabernacle this is part of worship is seeking God's face with all of our heart because we crave him we hunger for him it's a ministry of seeking God God I want to be in your presence want to be with you it's when you're dating and you're in love and you're ignorant and you don't know any better and you're calling your girlfriend or boyfriend whatever the case is and you're saying please i want to come over and see you. i've got to see you and she says but my parents said no you can't come over tonight that happened to me thank you very much um <laughs> only once or twice but anyway they were always real cool with that but Please, I want to come over. And they said, no. My parents say, no. Well, ask them. Go beg them. Just say, please, I want to be in your presence. That illustrates what I'm talking about. It's a ministry of seeking the Lord. I've got to see you. I've got to be in your presence. I stood in the Baker Church a number of years ago, and I pleaded with God. Daniel, uh, Jeremiah said, God spoke to Jeremiah and said, command ye me. I want to see you. God, I want to see you. And God manifested himself to me. Awesome, awesome experience. But it's the ministry of seeking the Lord. And when we feel like we don't need God, we don't seek Him. But our, love, our seeking God should not be based on our need of Him. It should be based on our love for Him. Everybody said amen. And then there's the ministry of spiritual sacrifices. I'm trying to hurry. David's tabernacle was a place where spiritual sacrifices were offered to the Lord by priests and Levites. They gave... When it hurt. But notice, they didn't give sacrifices to get things and to be noticed. They gave sacrifices of joy in Psalm 27. They gave sacrifices of thanksgiving in Psalm 116. They gave sacrifices of praise in Jeremiah 17. These are spiritual sacrifices offered up by royal priesthood and the spiritual house, the church. No more animal sacrifices are needed since this once and for all sacrifice of the body and blood of Jesus has been done. 
The New Testament believer can give a sacrifice of joy. Things are horrible in my life. But when I come into the presence of God, he'll never know it. And I'm going to sacrifice my feelings. I'm going to sacrifice my moods. I'm going to sacrifice my temperament. I'm going to sacrifice the circumstance I'm in. And I'm going to be joyful in the presence of God, even though that's not where I'm at. But I'm going to do it because that's what he wants out of me. Sacrifice of thanksgiving. The sacrifice of praise. And then finally, to conclude this lesson tonight, the ministry of saying Amen. David introduced that in 1 Chronicles 16, 36. In Hebrew, the word amen means sure. It's translated amen or so be it. It's truth. It involves faithfulness and truth. In Greek, the same word means firm, trustworthy. So be it. And it's translated amen, verily. The saying of amen from the heart is an expression of support, approval of faith, of certainty that the thing spoken of is true and that you believe it will come to pass so that's why you pray and say amen at the end of it because you believe in what you just said and you believe in it fervently and you believe it's going to come to pass you believe it's true you believe it's a truth and i'm going to stick with it you don't say amen because your daddy did it you say amen and we're taught that because it's biblical Everyone said amen. So the various expressions of worship related to her in David's tabernacle have been briefly considered here tonight. And any or all of these may be in any given service, but they're all Scripture. It's a part of the Word of God, both old and new. Believers may enter into these expressions of worship and praise, and we should. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it say that worship was ever abolished and these expressions of worship were abolished you can study the new testament they did it uh as a matter of fact with all the holy ghost apostolic revival going on in the book of acts james still talked about the rebuilding of the tabernacle of david that he still wanted the church to get back to this point where it was under david and under solomon god bless you tonight it's been i've had a ball it has been a lot of fun just working with you guys through this material but I'm going to ask you to come back Sunday morning. The Holy Ghost moves on. You let the Lord have his way. You do what you feel like doing. Praise God the way he wants to be praised. We'll stop. We'll give you a minute. If you're inappropriate and out of order, I'll talk to you about it after church. Not going to embarrass you. But you let the Lord have his way. Let the Lord have his way. Everybody said amen. All right, everybody say Q8. Get up. There's no Velcro attached to you in that seat. So get up and go talk to people and be real nice. Greet our guest. Make sure you greet our guest, and uh, we're glad you're here tonight. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for your time and attention.